Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on January 19th, 2014. Today's message is titled, Students of the Master, 1. Living in a Different World by Pastor Isaac Whiting, and is based on scripture, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. against my father, who is far too addicted to Seahawks and no doubt is not in church today. We are starting a sermon series today, and this sermon series will be entitled Students of the Master. It will be a sermon series about discipleship, about what it means to be a student learning how to live life from Jesus. We will talk about what it means to be a disciple. We will talk about uh, how to become a student of Jesus, and we will talk about how to live as a student of Jesus. The series will be in four parts, and the first part will be today and then the second next week. Then we'll have a two-week break when Dr. Lyle Schrag will be back speaking to us, and then we'll finish the series with two more sections uh, the following two weeks after that. If you would please pray with me, we will go to God's Word. Father God, as we come to your word today, help us to come to it humbly, and may your word, your word rule our hearts and minds. May it control our thoughts and feelings. We know that it is the best way. Please help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. I'll begin this morning with a little mini-sermon that has nothing to do with the main sermon. And this sermon will be entitled, How to Be Happy in Church. I have noticed in the, what's it been now, 14 years that I've been a Christian, that some people are very excited to come to church all the time and are very happy in church. And others, sometimes, are bored in church and do not seem to enjoy themselves. In fact, later this afternoon, I'll be preaching this sermon at the Faith Chinese English service downstairs. And sometimes the young people who are in that service who have been forced to come by their parents actually fall asleep during the service. And there's only about 30 or 40 people in there, so it's really obvious that they're asleep. They are not happy to be at church. You see, church is very, very good for you. This has been proven by numerous studies, and we can see this in our lives, those of us who have learned the secret. But church is not always fun. So what is the difference? How can you be happy in church? I'd like to give you three points to consider this morning. First, when you are in church, it will help you very much to recognize that God is speaking. Not that he might speak if the message is really good or the worship songs are top-notch, but that no matter what, as long as the Bible, the Word of God is central and being proclaimed, being preached, God will speak in church. Therefore, your job is not to think about how good the preacher is. In fact, That doesn't really matter all that much. It's not unimportant, but it's not the most important thing. Your job, if you want to be happy in church and get something out of it, is to determine 
what God is saying to you. Not the preacher, but what God is saying to you in that service. Second, I would encourage you to take notes in church. Now, you don't have to take notes, but the point here is that if you are trying to figure out what God is saying to you this morning, you need to do whatever will help you to pay attention to him. And for me and for many other people, taking notes about what God is saying to me, what I hear, what stands out to me from the service has been a very useful way to do that. This also includes other things like making sure you're in the right state when you come to church, making sure you've gotten enough sleep the night before, etc., etc. You need to be in a state where you are prepared to listen to God. And the third, and I think this is the most important step to being happy in church, is that once you have heard from God, once you have heard something that you know God is saying to you, you need to do something with it immediately. This is very important for your long-term happiness and growth in Christ. If you hear a word from God, if you hear something you know God is telling you from the Bible or whatever else happens in the service today, you must try to do something about it. Apply it in your life as quickly as possible. If it's possible, I would highly recommend you try to apply it before you even leave the building. Before you even leave the building. What this will do in your life is it will cause you to grow. It will cause you to see that God is there and that he is real and make you more and more excited to come to church and in every area of your life to hear what God is saying to you. I've actually written a short article on exactly this topic, and you can see it behind me, How to Be Happy in Church. It is posted on my blog or website. Uh, You can find that through the church website. There are also copies available at the Welcome Center if you would like to take a look at that in print form. Now, let's continue into the main sermon. Students of the Master, Part 1, Living in a Different World. Let me read for you again this first section as Jesus begins his work in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. This is the very first thing. Jesus has been in the desert being tempted by Satan, and he has come back into Galilee to begin his ministry. And this is what it says. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee and told the good news that comes from God. He said, The time has come. God's kingdom is at hand. Turn back to God, repent, and believe the good news. Jesus comes into Galilee And he begins, in the next section we will see, he begins to call students to himself, disciples. These are people who are going to learn from him. They are going to learn how to be like him. And they accept their role as disciples because they have seen something in him. What is it exactly that they see in him? 
What is it exactly that is so different about Jesus? Here in these words in verse 14 and 15, we begin to see what it is that is so different about him. He says that the kingdom of God is at hand. This has been translated in a number of ways. Sometimes it's translated as the kingdom of God is coming soon, as if it is not here and will only come in the future. But the very clear and correct translation is something much more simple. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. This is what Jesus is saying to the people in Galilee. Even though they don't see it, he is telling them that the kingdom of God is already here right now. And Jesus, in his life, the way he walks through the world, lives in and according to the kingdom of God. He lives as if the rules of the world were very different from what most people think they are most of the time. This fits with uh, many other things that Jesus says, that the kingdom of God is already here. It is here now. It is at hand. It is as close as my right hand. In Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says to some of his opponents, the Pharisees, that the kingdom of God has already come to them. This kingdom has very different rules. In Luke 16 and verse 15, Jesus says that the things that human beings value highly are in fact of no value to God. The rules in the kingdom of God are completely different. So if Jesus embodied the kingdom of God, he was the one who lived in it, and the people who saw him saw him as someone very different than anyone they had ever experienced before. How was he different? What kind of a person was this? As the disciples got to know Jesus better, as they lived with him over a period of three years, they asked themselves many times the same question. What kind of a man is this? When they saw what was happening in Jesus' life and how he acted and especially how he reacted to different circumstances, they said, what kind of a human being is this? We have never before experienced a human being like this. So what was he like? Here are some things we can focus on today, ways that Jesus was. First, Jesus was humble and he was gentle. This is something that's repeated again and again by the New Testament writers, by those who knew Jesus well. Sometimes we might read certain parts of the Gospels and say, wow, Jesus was incredibly bold and he sort of confronted people in dramatic ways. But the people who were closest to him knew, because they experienced that, that even when he did that, he did it in a way that was full of humility and gentleness. He was humble. That is, he considered others. He considered their needs, their prosperity, and their protection as more important than his own. 
He was gentle. That is, he didn't try to manipulate or control other people, even when they did things that were terribly, terribly wrong. He constantly told them the right way, and he showed them the right way, and he asked them to follow him in the right way. But he did not try to control them. He did not try to manipulate them. He was also a person who was, in a very deep sense, completely free. He was not driven by success or by lust of any kind, any excessive desire for anything in this world. He was not driven by a desire to be praised by other people or even liked. He was completely and deeply free. Think about the way that he spent, before he started his ministry, 30 years as a simple carpenter in a very small village. This does not mean a high-powered general contractor with lots of people under him, successful businessmen. This is a man who was building chairs in his workshop and probably not making any money at all, being paid in goats and grain and things like that. Knowing that he was the son of God, yet he was completely content to have no one else know it for 30 years. He was also a person we see many times who had no internalized anger. Jesus did sometimes get angry, but those occasions are quite rare. And when he did get angry, he was prepared immediately to forgive those who had wronged him. He was prepared immediately to forgive those who had wronged him, even when they were some of his closest friends. We see this in the advice that he gives. Forgive someone not seven times a day, but forgive someone 77 times a day. His disciples saw him living this. We see this in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus tells us that if we do not forgive other people immediately when they do something wrong to us, God will not answer our prayers. God will not hear us. And so Jesus internalized no anger. He also did not try to defend himself. He, his, you can see this in his attitude with the Pharisees, allowing them to attack him. You can see this as he goes through his suffering and his passion, standing before Pontius Pilate, completely silent, giving no defense, trusting that God alone will defend him. And this is because Jesus was a man who was completely safe. I've mentioned this a number of times before, and this is something we need to come back to again and again. Jesus was a man who believed, and not only believed, but knew that in this world, he was completely safe. Nothing could ever happen to him that wouldn't turn out for his good in the end. We see this a number of times when people attack him or criticize him or even try to kill him. They try to throw him off a hill in his own hometown of Nazareth. And he simply walks through the crowd and leaves because he is completely safe. I was making this point in the youth group this last Wednesday, and it was hilarious. A girl who is not part of our church, but she comes to our youth group, as I was making this point that Jesus was completely safe, she yells out, Oh yeah, what if somebody murdered him? 
I wasn't sure if she was messing with me at first. And so, but she wasn't. She was very serious. And so I said, well, you know, someone did murder him. See, he wasn't safe. But, you know, he came back to life. He actually was completely safe. No one and nothing could touch him. And he knew it. He was a person who walked through the world with power available to him whenever he needed it. When he felt internally like he was having trouble, struggling to focus on God, struggling to believe, he simply went to prayer and asked God for the power inside his soul and God gave it to him. Whenever there was some situation in life that needed help, someone needed healing or something needed to happen that he couldn't do with his own physical body, he simply went to God in prayer and asked for the power and God gave him the power. And he did it. He lived in a world where power was available to him whenever he needed it. He had only one goal in mind. He was a man of a single, pure heart. A heart that was set on one thing. To seek after his Father in heaven. To do whatever he saw his Father in heaven doing. This is the only thing that concerned him. And he never allowed himself to be distracted from this single goal. He had a pure heart. And because of all this, he was a man who was characterized by great joy. Even in the times that were the hardest for him, he had a kind of inner joy that could not be broken. It was always there filling him. And that joy overflowed into his most astonishing characteristic, that of love. A man who is able to love even complete strangers more than he loved his own life. A man who was able to love even complete strangers who were killing him more than he loved his own life, and to do it in joy. This is what the first disciples of Jesus saw. They saw a man who didn't live by the rules of this world, and they were stunned. They were stunned by it. How can this possibly be? A word about kingdoms. What kingdom is this? It's the magic kingdom, isn't it? Disneyland, the magic kingdom. I was thinking about kingdoms recently, and this is really the only kingdom that any of us have any first-hand direct experience of in our world today. And it's actually a good illustration of the kingdom of God in many ways because it is actually a kingdom. Uh, the Magic Kingdom is a place where the Disney Corporation rules. The will of the Disney Corporation is done inside of Disneyland. It is the same world that we live in, but it's different than the world that we live in. And when you are inside of it, the rules are different. The rules are different because someone different is in charge. You walk into Disneyland and you'll notice many things. You'll notice that it's super colorful. It's a colorful world. 
And you smile when you see flowers in bloom. Flowers bloom every day in Disneyland all year, no matter what. This is one of the rules of Disneyland. There's also someone noted to me recently, no garbage in Disneyland. As soon as garbage hits the ground, it's magically whisked away by the 10,000 workers who walk around sweeping it up. There is no garbage in Disneyland. It's a place where you can go jump on a ride anytime you want. It's a place of fun and excitement. It's a place that is our world, but it's a different realm than our world, and the rules are different. There are also rules that could get you kicked out of Disneyland, you know? If you don't follow the will of the Disney Corporation, they will remove you from the park. Just try sometime going into Disneyland with a protesting Disney sign and see how, how fast the angel army of Disney appears out of the woodwork and takes you to the entrance and throws you out. So Disneyland is a kingdom. It is a kingdom of the Disney Corporation. And Jesus lived in a different kingdom than the people around him were living in. He lived in the same world, but in a different realm. He lived in the God kingdom, in the kingdom where the will of his Father in heaven is always accomplished. This is the realm that he lived in. And this fact explains Jesus' entire character, his practical beliefs, What he knew to be true about the world is what explained his incredible character and the way that he acted. You see, Jesus viewed the world and knew that the world, in fact, was a place that belongs to God. God made it, God is here in it, and God is in control in this world. He also knew that God was, in fact, his Father that God loved him deeply and was always there to be with him, to talk to him, and to help him. And this fact changed everything for him. Imagine that feeling if you had a really good father, if you didn't try to imagine a really good father. That feeling of protection and safety that comes from being with your father in his house, in the place where things go according to how he wants them to go. You are safe in that place. If you need something, you ask your father for it. He doesn't always give it to you because he's looking out for your best interest. But most of the time he does because he loves you. And no one can harm you in there because you know that your father will come and protect you. At a moment's notice, all you have to do is call out. This is what Jesus knew to be true about the world. His father was the best the only good and meaningful thing to seek in life. And so he lived in the kingdom of God, the God kingdom. And when people saw him, they couldn't believe it. They didn't know what to do with this guy. Let's take a look then at the last verses here for this morning. I'll read them one more time. I'll read from the contemporary English version. Verse 16 to 20. As Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen and were casting their nets into the lake. And Jesus said to them, Come with me. I will teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. 
Right then, two brothers, the two brothers dropped their nets and went with him. Jesus walked on and soon saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat mending their nets. At once, Jesus asked them to come with him. They left their father in the boat with the hired workers and went with him. This is an incredible scene where the first disciples, the first apostles of Jesus, lay down everything in their lives at a moment's notice to go and follow Jesus around the countryside, sleeping in the open, not knowing where their next meal will come from, doing they don't know what, whatever it is he wants to do. And the question is, why did they do it? Why did they become disciples so quickly, so dramatically, and so completely? There are a couple of answers to this question. You should know that this is not the first time that they've ever met Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark likes to be really dramatic. His Gospel is full of words like suddenly and immediately. Mark gives us this story with no introduction. But we see in the other Gospels, especially in John, that these disciples had met Jesus before. And in fact, they had spent some amount of time with him, even staying overnight at the house where he was staying. They had met him when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And so they had seen in him a little bit of who he was. They had seen him use this power that was at his right hand all the time. They had seen his humility, his gentleness, his complete freedom. They had seen his love. And having seen him a little bit, they wanted nothing more than to become like him. And this is true of us. It is actually true, I believe, of every human being. If you see Jesus even a little bit, as he really is, as much as you've seen him, you will desire nothing more than to be with him and to become like him. The disciples also realize, as Jesus makes this request, come follow me, that he is going to show them something. He says to them, the kingdom of God is already here. And then he says, come here. You, 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 come here. I have something I want to show you. And third, the disciples realize that Jesus is going to train them. In this culture, in this context, saying come and follow me does not just mean, hey, I'm going somewhere, please come travel with me. It means come and be my student. I would like you to enroll in a school with me, in a school where you learn how to be like me, where you learn to be what I am. And when they realize that this one who lives by completely different rules is inviting them into this training program to become like him, they are ecstatically excited. They throw aside everything that they could have possibly wanted before that moment to run after him. Next week, we will continue talking about what it's like, how Jesus trains them, and how he trains us today.
Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask that you would show us Jesus. We ask that you would show us what he is like so that we can desire nothing more than to be like him. Show us how to enroll and become his students in this life so that we can enter into the eternal life that he is. Amen.